Kim Lewis, Associate Dean of Research and Professor of Physics. Hi, I'm Pania Newell, an Assistant Professor in the Department of Mechanical Engineering. Hi, I'm Lucy Zhang. I'm a Professor in Mechanical Engineering. In a typical curriculum vitae, which is a resume, there is an item or category usually named honors and awards. And this goes the same for university faculty and students. What do we need to do to fill in that item? And how important are these honors and awards? And that's our topic for the day. In this episode, we'll be talking about honors and awards with a great colleague of mine, Professor Debbie Kaminsky, who is a professor emeritus of mechanical engineering at Rensselaer Polytech Institute. Debbie is a mentor for so many of us on and off campus. She's done and still doing many interesting things besides being a professor. To me, she is someone who's got her life all figured out. She's leading our women's investment club, writing sci-fi fictional novels, among so many other very interesting things. Hi, Debbie. Thank you so much to be on the show today. And we're so glad that you can join us. Before we get started uh, talking about honors and awards, I know we already introduced you a, a little bit. You have anything to add? Well, thank you for that lovely introduction, Lucy. Well, I have worked in my career in industry. I worked for General Electric for five years, and I worked in academia for almost 30 years. And I also spent a year at the National Science Foundation. Uh, so that gave me my check the box that I worked in government as a program director. So I have seen, in one sense, the three different sides of the world that engineers often see. I'm a mechanical engineer like Lucy. Um, Kim is the outlier here, but I also have a degree in physics, Kim, from your department at RPI. <laughs> so I guess I fit in this group, right? That's basically my background. Um, in my work, I worked as a heat transfer engineer or energy engineer, depending upon what era it was and what buzzwords were popular in that era, and spent a lot of time on solar energy and cooling computers and things of that sort. So I'm delighted to be asked here today. I have served on two award committees over time, so I can maybe give people some insight into what I saw when I was there. That's great. Thank you, Debbie. So let's start and talking about why getting these awards are important? Well, in my personal opinion, it's really nice to get an award. It shows that your colleagues appreciate you. It also shows how they see you and how they define you. Uh, the very first award I ever got in my life was when I was 12 years old. I got a, an award for a speech I gave on free enterprise. It was the most terrifying event of my life up until that moment. I was on the stage in front of the entire elementary school, all five or 600 people. And um, what it said to me as a child is, you can make good speeches. Now see, I became a college professor, so college professors need to be able to make good speeches. It helped me define who I was. So when your colleagues and your teachers and your, your um, others give you awards, you get a sense of who you are, to them anyway. And of course, awards are wonderful to have on your resume. They last forever, for one thing. If you get an award, I can tell you about my award that I got in 1963. 
Isn't that nice? I mean, it doesn't it doesn't go, you know, rancid or something. You know. The thing is, awards beget awards. If you already have awards, when somebody looks at your CV, they say, this person is award worthy. We should give them another award. So the more awards you have, it's like the easier it is to get the next one. It's like the more money you have, the easier it is to make money, huh? So awards are like that. And I, I started out, when I was in high school, I really cultivated getting awards because I needed it to get a scholarship to college. So I really, that's time in my life when I worked hardest at getting awards, just because I felt desperate uh, that I wouldn't make it to college if I didn't get those awards. I was a kid, you know, working class kid. Have you seen that these awards play a major role in promotions as well, tenure and promotions? I don't think they play a major role, but they do play a role by their absence. When you want to go to a P&T committee, you want to check all the boxes. Ah, research, research dollars, service, teaching, awards. And if awards is missing, seminars, you don't give seminars, nobody seems to like you, then that's harder to promote people who are missing something from their resume. And awards is one of those things you don't want to be lacking. And also, if you're going to go and have a seminar, sometimes when people introduce you, they like to mention the awards you won. So you better have some, right? And when you put your web page up, a lot of people put the awards they got on their website. It's tough if you don't have any, and other people do. You've got to keep up with other people. That competition, right? <laughs> We've got to keep, keep it up. <laughs> yeah. Let's talk about these the type of awards that our uh, all these uh, faculty in academia can go after what are these awards that are out there for us to get well honestly many of them are discipline specific so you would have to just figure out what it is for your discipline and i think the best way to do that is to look at your colleagues who are say 10 years along uh, 10 years older than you and see what awards they got and you can say, oh, look at so-and-so got the Ralph Teeter Award for automotive engineering. Happens to be one that I got, but my mentor got it. And I said, oh, look, maybe I can get this one. And the Eli Lilly Teaching Award is another award that I got that I think somebody else already had. So you, you learn about awards by seeing, and you can read people's web pages, right? But when I think of the types of awards, I really think more of there's departmental awards, there's university level, and there's you know, national and international awards, and there's awards for just your field or for the whole universe. So, for example, um, if you get an award, I mean, certainly the, the Nobel Prize is the preeminent award that everybody has heard of in the whole world just about, right? So there's the award you most want. Uh, engineers rarely get Nobel Prizes, although physicists do recently, as a matter of fact. Uh, and um, see, so you, you want to aim at all of those kinds of prizes. It's not the easiest ones, of course, are dep departmental prizes. And the higher up you go, the harder it is to get uh, the awards. And some of these awards come with prides, like come with money, and some are just simply a title that you can just 
add into the resume, like societal fellows, for example. They don't come with money. They're just, it's basically just a prestigious title that you can carry with you. That's true. I find most awards come with small amounts of money, maybe $5,000, something like that. And um, several of the awards that I won come with trips. I had a, a Boeing award, faculty something award, and it was really Boeing wanted to get to know the faculty of RPI. So I had a free trip to Seattle and a week with Boeing engineers. That was fun. I learned a lot. I flew a simulator. It was so much fun. I beat their system. You know, I was... <laughs> and then the Eli Lilly Fellowship came with a trip to Indianapolis and a teaching conference that was three days long. So some awards are travel, you know, have travel components. And, and then a teaching award that I won once had like $10,000 that I could use in the classroom. But of course, the, the awards that you really want to get are something like the MacArthur Genius Awards, which come with $625,000 over five years. But they do vary all over the map. Mostly they're small, it's modest amounts of money. It's more the prestige of the award than the, you go after them for prestige. An award that is sort of common is a um, chaired professorship. That often comes with money, it, some support from the university, and there are a lot of those chaired professorships. They tend to be bargaining chips, a way to attract faculty to a university, to a department, or a way to retain somebody. If you see a chair that's vacant in your department and you say, hmm, maybe I can get that chair, you got to appreciate that probably the dean or the department head may be saying, hmm, I can get somebody from the outside to come in. I already got the person that's here. So maybe it's time, if you, if you really want that chair, maybe it's time to go looking and sort of sniffing around at other universities and pretend or actually feel like you're going to move if you don't get that chair. Because I have seen faculty who have been retained by being offered a chair. Hey, who wants to stand up? We all want to sit in a chair, right? So Debbie, in your opinion, do you think there are any differences between research and teaching and service awards, or they are equally important? Well, I would say that in universities, typically people say teaching, research, and service, and they mean research, teaching, and service. That's the kind of the underlying story is that, I mean, in many universities, especially research one institutions, um, research is uh, very important. You can't succeed without doing research. Um, often teaching is important too. You can get by without doing much service. But to tell you the truth, it's probably a bad plan, especially if you want to win awards, because one of the ways to win awards is to do some service, get to know people, have your face out there, get people to like you for God's sakes, which they won't do if they don't even know you, if all you do is research. So, uh, so you mentioned all these awards. How can one get nominated for any categories of awards? Well, as I just mentioned, one of the things to do is to get well-known. You don't want to spend all your time in your lab or your office. You need to schmooze a little bit. You need to go out to lunch with faculty, serve on committees, go to parties, invite people over to your house. 
You have no idea how many parties I have not, how many people's houses I have not been to. And I'm thinking, how do they get to know people? They never invite anybody over. Uh, so you do have to get to know people because even if these people don't uh, nominate you for an award, someday they may sit on an award committee. And it's very important that other people on the committee have heard of you, like you, and want to support you. So that is, um, that is one thing. Now, as far as I'm concerned, when you want to get yourself nominated for awards, if you really want to be proactive and not just sit back and hope that lightning strikes, that the best thing to do is to work through a trusted mentor or a department head. If you want to, if you, if you see an award out there and you say, ah, I'm a good candidate for that award, go to your department head, if you trust your department head, and say, what about this? Do you think I would be a candidate for this award? And the department head, if they're an exceptionally good department head, will say, I'll nominate you. Of course I will. So that's, the, uh, that's a good route. Now, if you don't have that kind of department head, find yourself a mentor in your, in your department or in your discipline. If you're looking for a national award, then you need a mentor at another university. You go to them and say, hell, um, Sandra, what about this? I could... It looks like I could get this prize, or what, what, what would I have to do? Am I in a good position for that prize? And then, can you nominate me? That's, so, that's I think, allowable. So what you, what you are saying, that self-nomination is acceptable? Self-nomination at a distance, because you're self-nominating to your department head, and your department head can say, oh no, Debbie, what are you thinking? You really need to do this and this and this before you get that award. When they say that, then you go to your mentor because you don't believe your department head, right? And then you go to your mentor and you say, what about this, this, and this? And then they say, yeah, you know, I'll do that. And sometimes they'll say, um, write something up for me, I'll edit it, so that you write your own nomination package. How about those people that they believe that they are waiting for somebody to nominate them. They think that it would be less of a value if they go and initiate the whole process or even ask their mentor to nominate them. Well, I have won many awards that I never nominated myself for or asked anybody to nominate me for. It does happen. Probably many of my awards are like that, most of them. I didn't spend a lot of time uh, trying to win awards. I did spend a lot of time trying to get to know people and that helped in order to win the awards. And lots of times it just came out of nowhere and I said, oh wow, I didn't expect that. And that's fun. That's more fun than nominating yourself. <laughs> Much <Yeah>. more fun. <laughs> but so, I don't think it's, it was wrong. You know, when I, when I worked at GE, my very first job as an engineer, uh, my, uh, my boss's boss came to my office one day and said, you know, I nominated Mike, one of my fellow employees, for this service award, and he didn't win. And you're a pretty good writer. Why don't you take a look at this and see if you can fix this up and re-nominate Mike? And, I, and this is my boss's boss, and I said, yes, sir, I will do that. And so I looked at it, and I realized it was terribly written, you know, that it was no shine, no pizzazz, no enthusiasm, no strong verbs. It was a horrible nomination. So I, re I went and talked to Mike and learned all about him, not really knew him before. And then I rewrote this same kid, same guy. The next year, he got the award. And it was all because the nomination form was well-written rather than because it was just hastily put together. 
So you got to pick a good writer to nominate you. Very good point because I've read several times that how important it is that, uh, that your letter writers give a good image of you and it's not just generic letter that they write it for everybody. So what are your thoughts on nominating others? What are our roles in nominating and recognizing others for their good work? Well, I have done that on many occasions. I find somebody that I think is really doing a good job and I nominate them. Um, I've done that, on, but you know, I, I've served on nomination committees and everybody has a lot of work to do. So people don't spend a lot of time nominating each other. It's really kind of tough to get people to do it sometimes because there's no intrinsic reward. Well, there's an intrinsic reward. There's no other reward necessarily for nominating people. And it takes time and effort. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I, but I think that that's the part that the community needs to work on. I think that we need to create a culture of appreciation and recognizing others for their good work. You, you served in several award committees, or I guess you pointed out two of them in particular. So how are the award selection process work? Well, I served on one that was at the university level. It was the Honors and Awards Committee. Basically what happened, I was surprised in that occasion to find that most awards had very few applicants, when you think about it. So, so getting nominated is half the battle in some of these awards. Sometimes a, a rather prestigious prize would only have two or three applicants or one. One applicant for the particular award that, you know, early career research award. I found that the person who won was often somebody that a person in the room spoke up for them. A persuasive person in the room who had seen the resume said, I know so-and-so and they're really you know, their research is really fine, and they're a good citizen. They're, they, they're well-deserving of this award. Somebody in the room speaks for a person. So it's very valuable if someone in the room actually knows the name on the page and is able to, to speak for them. You know, my department, um, what, what under uh, one of our department heads, put together a committee, and a nominating committee. So we had three people who were on the nominating committee and their total job was to nominate people from the mechanical engineering department for whatever awards they could figure out that they might deserve. And that's a wonderful thing to have as a committee in your department. And if you advocate for that, you help yourself and your colleagues. When I was sitting at the national level, um, certainly the higher you go, the more prestigious the prize, there are more potential candidates there. The higher your own profile has to be. I mean, I make light, perhaps, of people just giving awards at random, but they do want to... Basically, I think what happens is that a powerful award like the MacArthur Genius Award is given by an, a nominating committee that nobody knows who it is. But you can expect that those are powerful people on that nominating committee. They're probably former award winners, they're heads of industry, they're university presidents, or we don't know who it is. They don't even say who the nominating committee is. But if you get yourself up into a high level of visibility, if you're in the National Academy, you know, if you, if you get yourself up to a very high level, then you're much more likely to attract one of these much more prestigious awards. And many times, you know, I talked about I've talked about chaired professorships before. I mean, if I, want, if I could choose what chair to sit into, I would sit in the Isaac Newton chair at Cambridge, right? 
That's the most prestigious chair in the world. And when you look at the history of who sat in that chair, one of the most recent people was Stephen Hawking. He has a very high profile. And for my fellow faculty members here who are fluid mechanicians, I'm looking at you, Lucy, uh, George Stokes sat in that chair. You know, Stokes flow and the Navier-Stokes equation. So that chair actually has had some pretty fine, you know. So that's another thing. You want to get awards, really, that have had very illustrious former winners. That's what makes an award illustrious. So Debbie, I wanted to see if we can do a sort of a deep dive into some of the challenges and biases in awards. And so one of the questions I have is, in your opinion, do you believe there is a, a gap between the number of men versus women being recognized for these various awards? I suspect that there is. I have never done research in that area myself, or I haven't done a literature review in the area. My experience tells me that there is uh, a gap between men and women being nominated for awards. And at the very least, there's a perception of a gap. Let me tell you a story um, that happened to me this year. I was on a panel at a science fiction convention. I used to go to technical conventions like you guys and uh, all these guys in suits would be running around giving boring talks. But now I go to science fiction conventions. People dressed in wild costumes. There was a guy dressed as a group. He was nine feet tall on stilts through the convention. You wander around, you meet people dressed in t-shirts saying things like, my password is the last four digits of pi and everybody gets it, okay, because it's science fiction. That's the kind of place I go these days, and nobody wears a suit. If you wore a suit, they would think you were nuts. At any rate, uh, I was on a panel talking about black holes because in 2020, the Nobel Prize in Physics was given to Roger Penrose, Reinhard Genzel, and Andrea Gatz. This is only the fourth time that a woman received the Nobel Prize in Physics, and one was given two years earlier in 2018. On the panel, there were myself, and a woman astronomer and three men. Now, I am not an astronomer. There's a little shortage of scientists at these panels. So three men and two women. And two of the people on the panel were actual astronomers. Uh, the rest of us were science fiction writers. You know? And the woman on the panel said, you know, I talked to Reinhard Genzel the year before the award was given. And he says, I know I'm going to get this award because they're going to give this award for finding the black hole because they're gonna to have to give it to Andrea as well as to me. And so they wanna give it to a woman. So that's how I'm gonna get this award. I'm gonna ride on the backs of them. So they, she, he said this to her. And on that panel, right there in the Zoom, you could see that the three men looked, no, skeptical, that can't be so. And the two women said, oh yeah, yeah, here it goes again and again. So there's a huge perceived difference. Women expect awards to be biased and men expect them not to be biased. There's a big differential in what people expect. So what do you think about reapplying to these competitive awards? So let's just say you do your first submission, you don't get it. Is it good to just keep applying until you get it? Or do you think at some point you, you should say, no, this is not a good idea and the, the selection committee keeps seeing your name over and over. Is there some stigma attached to reapplying? Well, 
I don't know that the selection committee necessarily sees your name over and over again because these committees tend to rotate kind of quickly. So if you reapply like three years later, it might be a whole new group of people. And besides, you're, I would reapply when I was a little bit stronger too. If you reapply, I, I don't know if I'd reapply the next year because you might have some overlap on the committee. Depends on what you're applying for and what the committee, but certainly this works with grants at NSF. But part of the reason it works with grants is that you write a grant, you get review, and you see what reviewers don't like about your work, you fix it up, you reapply, and that works better, right? Awards aren't like that. You don't get any feedback if you didn't uh, win your, the award. So in, in your opinion, what efforts do you believe can be used to increase the number of minorities being nominated and winning awards, just based on your experience of serving on these selection committees at the university and the national level? I think the, maybe the biggest barrier is just getting them nominated in the first place, that what we need to do is to perhaps, again, put together a committee of people who are interested in this and look around and see what minorities are doing great things and could possibly be great candidates for an award. So that's really the case, is you need somebody to advocate for them. So you need to find the people who will want to advocate for minority faculty. And usually I have to say it's other minority faculty, but not always, right? Not yes. always. Yeah, I see. So you mentioned that you have received some of these prestigious awards. Do you feel any responsibility to do things after you get the award? These awards, they do change your thinking to some extent about who you are and who other people perceive you to be. They really do. Women often have multiple mentors. There is the idea that a woman doesn't want to latch on to one mentor who's probably a man that may not look so good. Uh, so w women faculty often have four or five different mentors, some in their department, outside their department, in their discipline, outside, somebody who might be in their ethnic group, uh, however they define it, if it's women or minorities or anything else, and other people who are just far away from their group. So I think women are at an advantage having all these mentors trying to ask them about awards and, and getting nominated. And what we as women who are moving along in our careers, we should do some nominating too. That's what we have to think about too. It is part of our role. Thank you so much, Debbie, for joining us today and giving us this wealth of knowledge on this important topic of honors and awards. I am sure our audience, as well as all of us, have learned a lot. And we're now bearing all these responsibilities on our shoulder. So Debbie, we would love to have you back and you know, sometime to talk about other exciting projects that you were working on during your retirement or all the other things that you had done before that. If you are interested in reading or knowing more about Debbie's book projects, we have the links added into our show notes. Please check them out. You can buy them on Amazon. Well, thank you so much, Lucy, for having me. This has been a lot of fun, and I appreciate you reaching out. And anytime I can help you, I will. Thank you so much for listening. We hope you enjoyed this conversation. Find us at thisacademiclife.org or follow us on Facebook. 
You can listen to our latest episodes on iTunes, Spotify, Amazon Music, or Google Podcasts. Please rate us. We welcome any feedback or suggestions for future episodes. 